Well, good morning. I'm so glad to see you all today. Wow. Some of you brought your friends. How many of you brought your enemies today? Don't look at them now. You'll have to talk about it, okay? I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. Always glad to have you as well. Now, look, this is the fifth of five in a series of sermons about how our faith can grow, right? And there's five different ways, and we're going to look at the fifth one today. But I'm going to do a quick recap, just in case you weren't here for the first four. It'll be just right at the very beginning. Hope it'll be meaningful to you, because these are five areas. If you talk to people, they'll tell you these five things have made me grow. Now, what we see is that Jesus had an agenda, and his agenda was for everybody to know him, love him, have a relationship with him, and have an active faith, right? Not just a faith, not just believing, but an active faith that we do something with. Because what did Jesus say? His invitation was always the same. It's still the same invitation today. He said... Follow me. I'm just trying to help those of you out who've been here for four weeks, okay? (laughs) He said, follow me. But then the church came along and the church says, do you believe in Jesus, right? Because that's less threatening and it's less demanding and it's not asking so much of you. And so Jesus says, no, believing is just the first part. Then you've got to do something with your belief. And the example we used in the first message. Let's see how many of you were paying attention then. I'm not bitter if you weren't. Okay. <laughs> but let's go back and talk about it. We can, we can all together, let's do it together. We can all believe that we're losing weight, right? I believe, I believe I'm losing weight. Is anything happening? Anybody? Any, any, and then you get on the scale and it's not working out, right? So you have to act, don't you? You have to do something. Well, it's the same way with faith because faith is a muscle. And what do you have to do with muscles? You have to exercise them. And what what happens is when you exercise your faith, then your faith grows, doesn't it? And it gets stronger. And the next time you're able to do it easier because you believe, right? And so that's what we're looking at today. Now, here's the question I want to ask all of you. It's the question we've asked through this whole series. What would I do if I was confident that God was with me? What would I do if I was confident that God was with me? Because here's what we do. We say, oh, I could never do that. Oh, I'm not talented enough to do that. I I don't have the gifts and abilities to do that. What would I do, though, if God called me? And he said, no, you, I want you to do this. Well, Lord, it's outside my comfort zone. That's why I want you to do this. I want your faith to grow. And so you're convinced that God really is with you. And so you you just muster up all the courage that you've got and you hang on and you say, okay, Lord, you and I together and you step out and you do it. And God shows you how that your faith and his faithfulness provide you with faith that grows. And then you have a victory. And the next time, it's not as difficult to do it. You see how that works? And so we need victories in the Lord, don't we? We need to see some positive things happen, and that can happen. What would I do if I were sure that God was with me, asking me to do it, challenging me? I want you to ponder that question today. And if you're brave enough, I want you to ask God that question this afternoon. I want you to say, now, Lord, 
what is it that you want me to do? But be careful. You get what you ask for, okay? And then the second thing, it says, what fuels or facilitates the development of active, enduring faith? How can I have a real faith? How can I have a faith that's active? How can I have a faith that is enduring, that means something? There are five things we've said can help your faith grow. There may be more, but at least these, and they say them in different ways. But really, that's what they're all saying most of the time. The first one is practical teaching. People tell their story, and they say, you know, I knew about Jesus, and I knew about God, and I knew about the Bible, but I didn't really understand how to read it. I didn't really understand a lot about it, and I, I never got in a small group, and I didn't really spend time with another Christian who could help me grow until somebody came along. And then I learned how to apply what I was learning from the Bible. Now I've got that tool. And that makes all the difference. And now I can study the Bible and I can see God's power and the Holy Spirit in my life. And so now it makes all the difference in my life. Our faith intersects with God's faithfulness and our faith grows. The second thing we said was personal ministry. Personal ministry. You were always the one who said, I can't teach the youth. I can't teach children. I certainly can't teach the adults. All those people know more about the Bible than I do. I can't do it. Somebody else needs to do it. It's not my gift. And then the Holy Spirit gave you this little nudge and said, you know, I just want you to serve other people. I want you just to serve. And you said, okay, Lord, I hear you. And, and I'm going to psych myself up. And with your help, I'm going to serve somebody else. And then you did it. And what a blessing. And your faith grew. And then you wanted to serve more people, right? And what a blessing that's been. The third thing we said was providential relationships. You know, God just dropped somebody into your life at just the right time who made all the difference for you and blessed you. Or maybe God dropped you into somebody's life and you blessed those other people in an amazing way. And you're just so grateful for the privilege, whether either way it goes, because both ways are wonderful. And so that meant all the difference to you. And then the fourth thing we said was, you know, I got to a place where I could have spiritual disciplines, where I started praying consistently every day. When I started reading my Bible every day, where I started attending church on a regular basis, I learned to give a percentage of my income like the Bible teaches to God cheerfully, joyfully, thankfully, and I gave it. And, and these were the disciplines I learned. And here's what happened. The ought to's turned into want to's. I told you that my coach, Laura Lay, you know, some of you know her, my wife, She's much younger than me and a lot better looking, okay? And I, I told you she's my coach, and she put me on a meal plan, okay? A meal plan where I eat seven times a day, and you're going, put me on that plan. I want that. Let me just sign up. Where do I sign up? Laura can coach me, but here's the catch. You do it every two and a half hours, and all those snacks that you eat are specific. They're not just anything you pick, and they are 100 calories each. So you're just living large, right? 100 calories, and it's so good, and when it's gone, it's gone. That's it. It's over. 
And then, but you know, in two and a half hours, something else coming around again, right? And at five o'clock, you eat a meal. You get a lean and green, okay? That's what you have for dinner. And then at 7.30, it's two and a half hours later. You got to do another one. You start at seven in the morning. It goes through. I got a little little alarm on my phone to let me know when it's time to eat again because it just, it does. It comes around often. And what it does is it makes me lose weight. Don't I look good? Yeah. And, but here's the big thing. My sugar is down. That's the blessing. And so some days the short acting, I don't even have to take at lunch or dinner sometimes now. But even when I do, it's not nearly as high. It's under the 140 mark that the doctor wants. And then I take the long acting and then I take the metformin. But, you know, I'm, I'm thankful because diabetes runs in my family, type 2. Grandfather, uncle, mother, me. Okay. So, but you know, you do, you do what you can with what you got. And so I'm so grateful. But you know, when you first start, it's an adjustment. It's not normal because you want to go into the kitchen at night when you're watching something on TV. If you're watching sports, Laura watches a lot of sports and I have to watch it with her. And so when you're, and you want a little, I'd like to have, is there some popcorn? Could I have? No, you can't have that. No. You can later when you're on maintenance, but you can't right now on the really rigid discipline plan, which I'm on. Because I look like a disciplined, rigid kind of guy, don't I? Six weeks tomorrow, but who's counting, right? Okay. But here's the thing. When you first start studying the Bible and praying and spending time with God, it's an ought to. But it turns into a want to. And then you look forward to it every day, don't you? All right, the fifth thing, the thing we're going to talk about today is pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. There was an experience I had. Something happened in my life. I look back, and it's a pivotal time in my life. It's a defining moment where something happened. God did something. People did something. Now, a lot of those are positive experiences, right? You have positive experiences like you get married or you have children, or you have another new opportunity or a new job. Sometimes, though, those pivotal things can be negative experiences. It can be something like the loss of a child, or the loss of a marriage, or the loss of the future that you had planned, or the health that you wanted, or a career. And so in those times, what happens is we tend to say, where is God? And God says, I'm right here, and if you'll just turn to me, you're going to get stronger through this tough time. I'm going to use it to build you up and make you stronger. But, Lord, I don't want to go through it. I know you don't. But, but you're going to go through it. It's part of life. But now that you're going through it, you don't have to go through it alone. I'm going to be with you, and you're going to get through to the other side, and it's going to be amazing. Now, C.S. Lewis said this, and by the way, all of my original thoughts come from C.S. Lewis. I just want to put that out, point it out. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to explain it to you. I'll have this great thought, and I'll think, boy, that's good. That, oh, that's good. I'm, I'm going to use that. And then I'll read C.S. Lewis, and he's already said it. But I'm not bitter. So all my original thoughts come from C.S. Lewis, okay? But here's what he said. God whispers to us in our pleasures. God speaks to us in our conscience. But God shouts to us in our pain. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. 
See, God knows when to speak, and he knows how to speak, and he knows what to say at just the right time. He's always on time. He's never early. He's never late. It's always at the right time. It's always the right message, right? And so Jesus suffered in life, didn't he? And he was persecuted, and his disciples did some of that too. But John said, you know what? If you want to know what God is like, God is love. That's what he said. And if you were to talk to John today and you were to say, tell me about God being love, you know, would you say that the world is love? And John would say, oh, no, the world's not love. The world's a mess. All you got to do is turn on the news and you can turn that off. Let's just do something else, right? But he said, God is love. And then, you know, John would say to you today, let me tell you something. I looked into the eyes of Jesus. I knew Jesus. I watched Jesus, and he changed my life. And let me tell you something. When I looked into the eyes of Jesus, I saw love, unconditional love, love that puts someone else first, and it, it's changed my life. And I want to have that kind of love in my life so that I can share it with someone else. Now, the people who wrote the Gospels suffered. It was a tough thing to do. And the book of James tells us this. Trials are tests. You're going to have trials, and God's going to use them as tests. And so are you going to pass the test, or are you going to fail the test? What kind of GPA are you going to have? How'd you do on your last test? What is the testing? Well, here's what he says. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And he gives us a list of things. This produces this. This produces this. Now, what he's saying is when your faith is tested, when you've been through a tough time, then you can be trusted because an un tested faith is not very much faith at all. It's when you have to really believe in the toughest time. That's when you really trust and believe in God, and it makes your faith bigger. We don't even know what we actually believe until what we claim to believe has been tested. A faith that is tested can be trusted. And you remember the disciples, we've talked about it. They were with Jesus, and Jesus was preaching all day. And the disciples were hot and tired and hungry. In fact, some of them might have been hangry. Okay? And you know what it's like to be hangry, right? But they didn't tell Jesus that. They went to Jesus and they said, you know, the crowd, the crowd is here. And we love this series you're preaching in one day today, Jesus. But you know, the crowd is hungry and they're tired and they need some break now. And so let's let them go home and get some food and, and you know, relax. And, and since they're going to take a break, maybe we could take a break too, right? And, and so... What did Jesus say to them? He said, you give them something to eat. Well, Lord, I've looked and there's not a Tom Thumb and I can't even find any of those peanut butter cracker things to buy like they've got in there. And what exactly did you, I don't even have pockets in these clothes I wear, you know. So what exactly is it that you want me to give them to eat, okay? But Jesus, he's trying to test them. 
And Jesus looks at him. He says, you know, at first, you know, you saw the video. I showed it a few weeks ago. And, and that's where he fed the 5,000. And he gave the food to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And it started out with that long John Silver snack pack that that little boy had. And they had enough for thousands of people. It was amazing. Okay, it was a miracle. And, and then, you know, he went from there. But, but he said, you know what, guys? I'm going to get arrested, and they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to die, but I'm going to be resurrected. And they, they were sitting there, and they said, huh? And it just went right over their head. And they're sitting there thinking, what are we having for dinner? Because they're not paying attention. They don't even understand if they were paying attention to what? What? You're going to do what? I don't understand what you're saying. And then he looks at Peter, and he says, Peter, your faith is about to be tested. In fact, here's what he says in Scripture. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now, Peter's faith had not been tested so he really didn't know what he was going to do. He talked big. You ever talk big? But he didn't follow through very big at all. In fact, he failed miserably. And when he was tested, he failed. He failed Jesus. That's what's so terrible. Jesus says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And Peter says, no, no, I'll never do that. And then Peter denies him three times. This little 13-year-old girl comes up and says, well, you were a Galilean. You were with Jesus. No, nope, not me. You got the wrong person. That's somebody else. And three times he does it, and the rooster crows, and he goes, oh, man. He told me that I was going to do it, and I still did it. Now, look, you know how it feels to disappoint somebody? We don't like to disappoint other people, especially the people closest to us, right? What if you disappointed Jesus and you had to look at him after that and talk to him? I mean, you talk about feeling low and miserable and just wanting to give up. He did it three times. But what happened? Jesus came back after he was resurrected and he came and found Peter and the disciples. And Peter didn't even want to talk to him. He just felt so broken. And Jesus said, Peter, I know you love me, and, and I love you, and I forgive you. Let's put that behind us, and let's move on. Now, you talk about a weight being taken off of your shoulders. You talk about somebody who's got a new lease on life. Now, I get to have life again. I get to have it with Jesus. And even though I choked miserably, he's going to give me a second chance. And Jesus does the same thing to you and me, and we all know what it feels like because we've all failed. But we also, we beat ourselves up. We don't believe what God believes about us. He believes the best about us because he loves us. He gives us another chance. He said, okay, okay, you repented, you confessed. Let's just put that behind us, and I'm going to help you be victorious now. And, and so God forgives us, but we can't forgive ourselves. Quit beating yourself up. God's not doing it. That comes from the enemy, from the pit. And he's a liar. And he's trying to get you so immobilized that God can't use you. But he, he doesn't even fight fair. And he's had thousands of years of experience. Don't listen to him. You listen to Jesus. He's in charge.
Now, two months after the resurrection, after Peter failed miserably, now what does Jesus say? He comes back to the disciples. He said, you know what, guys, early after the resurrection, he comes back and he says, you know what, guys, I'm going to put you in charge of the whole enterprise. <laughs> I'm going to go on up to heaven and be with the Father, and you're going to take over. Peter, I'm going to count on you because I know you can do it. I mean, here's the guy that failed. You going to give him something else to do now? He didn't do any good. And that's what he said. You know what it means for God to believe in you? I mean, it's something special if, if your parents believe in you, if your friends believe in you, if your spouse, your kids. But what if Jesus believes in you? Well, man, if Jesus believes in me, I think I can do anything with his help, right? And so Peter said, okay, Lord, I, I won't mess up next time. I got an F last time, but this time I'm going to get an A+. Plus. And so two months after the resurrection, Peter and John go up to the Temple Mount, and they're going up there to pray. And they pass this guy who's a beggar. He's been lame from birth, and he just stands, sits there every day and, and asks for money because there's no way for him to make a living. He can't do anything. And he, he looks at Peter and John, and he said, Could you help, help a guy out? And he said, I don't have any money, but what I have I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And the guy got up. And then he turned into a kid on caffeine. He started jumping up and down. He got so excited. He was going, man, I've never been able to do this. All my life I've been a beggar. All my life I've sat and watched other people walk around. I've got a whole new, I mean, I've got a different perspective. I'm standing up right now. This is amazing. And he just, he was just overexcited about it, jumping up and down. And he was following them around just like a little kid. And everybody knew the guy. I mean, he's a beggar. They've seen him all their lives. And they're going, what happened to him? Look at him. I, I've never seen. Look at his legs. His legs are developed. He can stand and walk. It's amazing. And you know what that created? A disturbance. There was a disturbance because they lived in an occupied country. And the Roman government was in charge. And, and whenever the Jewish folks got out of hand, they said, okay, this is a disturbance. You're disturbing the peace. We're going to have to put you in jail. You know, if you'd been Peter and John and you just healed a guy that had been lame from birth, would you have thought they're going to arrest you and put you in jail? Maybe they'll have a parade for you. Maybe they'll celebrate. You know, it's a positive thing. How could anybody look at it as a negative? But that's what they did. They arrested him and they took him to jail. And so there, when they came out, they brought him out and they said, now, you're going to have to face the high priest. And his name was Annas Caiaphas. Now, Annas Caiaphas, he was the guy that Jesus had to face when they decided to crucify him because he was making a disturbance. And that's who, and Peter knew it because he was there. And Peter's got to face him now. And he went to Pilate and, and he said, I want you to kill this guy. And Pilate killed him. Okay. So Peter knows what can happen to him after this. And, and he knows it's a life or death experience that he's about to have. And, and so he's got this pop quiz. Let's see how he does on the test. It says in Acts, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power or what name did you do this? Well, all they've got to say is, I didn't do it by any power or any name. I just did it. So there, and they would have said, okay, you're all right. Go on then. But they didn't do that. Instead, Peter signs his own death warrant. And he looks in the eyes of the high priest and the Jewish authorities. 
And he knows that that's the one that had Jesus arrested and crucified. And he says, they had Peter and John. And they said, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Does that look like somebody who's going to fail the test? To you, he's, what's he got now? He's got boldness because a faith tested is a faith trusted. And now he's a different person. And now he doesn't care. You can kill me if you want to. They've resurrected Jesus from the dead. I know what's going to happen. They can just resurrect me too. Go on, do whatever you, give me your best shot. But I'm going to talk about Jesus, okay? And, and so that's what he said. And then it goes on and it says this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus was on trial, but the authorities were intimidated by Jesus. Peter and John are on trial, but the authorities are intimidated by them. They've got a confidence. I know that God is with me. I know that he's called me to do this. I am going to speak with boldness. I'm going to confront evil. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to stand up and do what I should have done the last time, and I don't really care what you do about it. Yeah. And when your faith is real, it shows. And other people see it, and they know it. And so the, the, they, they say, well, what are we going to do to them? We can't really do much to them because everybody has seen what they've done. And, and if we try to go against them, then the whole crowd will break out and come after us so they don't know what to do. So here's what they say. Well, you just don't talk about Jesus anymore. There. And they said, hey, look, you do what you got to do, and I'm going to do what I've got to do. And you can count on it. I'm going to talk about Jesus till I'm dead. So you just get over it, bud. And that's what he said. And they were just amazed. And then they go from there. And what do they do? They go directly from that experience, and they get together with the other disciples. And they've just had this high watermark moment. And they get together, and they pray. And what do they ask for? They pray for boldness. Wait a minute, they had boldness just a minute ago. Why are they praying for boldness? Because that was then, and this is now, and they're going to be tested again, and they want to pass the next test. And so, Lord, give us boldness. Lord, just stay with us and, and help us, because we want to make a straight A kind of a GPA on our faith from now on. And that's what they did. They had been pruned and built back stronger. And so they had this pivotal experience, this pivotal circumstance. And they would remember, Peter would remember for the rest of his life what it's like to fail. He said, I won't do that anymore. And I don't have to now. I've got Jesus, and I'm going to go in a different direction. And so I'm going to respond the way that he wants me to respond. Why is it that some people can face extraordinary circumstances and come through with stronger faith and other people can go through the same thing and come back with weaker faith. 
Well, there are three things that make the difference. The first one is what we believe. What we believe can make the difference. In the negative, life-changing, cataclysmic circumstances of life, what we believe can make the difference. If I really believe in Jesus, I'll tell other people because it's good news, right? Best thing that ever happened to me. I want it to happen to them. You can't keep good news to yourself. I know. I've been around you. I've heard you, and you've heard me, right? You can't keep it to yourself. And what better news could you have? Okay? It's important. But here's what happens if we assume it's not true. If we assume, if we don't have the belief that we need, if we claim what's not promised because we don't read the Bible and listen to God, then we're just going to fail, right? If we aren't clear on what Jesus promised us, then our faith is going to be feeble and fragile and uninformed. The second thing we see is who we listen to. Who do we listen to? That's why we tell young people, children, we say, listen, pick your friends wisely because your friends are so important to you and you want Christian friends, godly friends, friends that can help you do the right thing, make the straight A's and and have a faith that you're pleased with and that God is pleased with in life. And so make sure you listen to the right people. And Jesus says one day when he's walking with the disciples, they look at this guy, and he is blind. And he's been like that from birth. And the disciples look at Jesus, and they say, okay, now did he sin, or was it his parents that sinned? And Jesus says, you're confused, okay? He said, you've got this mixed up. That's not how it works. You've got a miscontextualized understanding of suffering. That's really not the case. It's not like that. And so you need to understand that God just doesn't put a whammy on you because you did the wrong thing. It really is because we live in a fallen world and bad things happen to good people and it's just part of life and not everything's perfect. But you know what? You're not there by yourself. And you can turn to God and he can help you through it. And the last thing is how we frame it. How we frame the situation. Jesus helped the disciples to reframe what they were looking at with this guy that was blind from birth. And it says this in Scripture, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, what's he saying? He's saying if you see a blind guy who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to say, how come a blind guy is a follower of Jesus Christ and he's blind? I guess that relationship with Jesus is more important than sight. Or if he heals him, he's going to say, just look what Jesus did in my life. Either way, he's going to use your circumstances to be a witness to other people and to you and a blessing to them. And so then we move on and he says this, three things make a difference. The difficulty of of how we respond to them and we can see them in our lives, okay? And, And what we want to see is, If we can spot God in it, we are more likely to maintain faith through it, right? And so we pray that we'll be able to do that. And the scripture, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I 
have overcome the world. Have faith, trust me, lean into me, follow me, and believe, and you'll just see what I can do through you. And what a blessing you can be. Now, I want to wrap it up. I just want to tell you something. Um, this is the scripture about Jesus, I mean, about Peter failing and Jesus telling him he's going to fail. And when I first got out of seminary, I was the associate minister at First Methodist Church in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. And I preached a sermon one day entitled The Fear of Failure. And I talked about Peter and what he went through. And I talked about the experience that he had and how he failed miserably. And, and then, you know, Peter is just sitting there. And from then on, until he sees Jesus again, all he can think about is his failure. And he's just scared he's going to fail again because that's what he did in the past, right? And he didn't want to do that. Well, this guy came to my office. He was a little bit older than me. We were both really young. But, but he's a little bit older than me. And he came in and he told me his story. He said, Nancy, your sermon really spoke to me today. Let me tell you what's happened to me. He said, I grew up in the church. My parents are in the church. I married my high school sweetheart. I was the manager of the Sound Restaurant in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, right on the Sound, conveniently located there. And he said, I, I had gone out when I was a teenager to a dance. And some buddies of mine had called me out back, and, and they had a, a little bit of alcohol. And they took a drink, and they went back inside, and I took a drink, and I finished the bottle. He said, I didn't know what addictive personalities were, and I didn't know that they could be in families, and I didn't know anything about that. But he said, from that point on, I, I struggled with alcohol. And he said, you know, my wife, finally, I lost my job because of my drinking. I lost my wife. She left me. I, I just couldn't get victory over it, and I, I didn't know what to do. And he said, I'm here today. And he was just shaking. And he said, I'm here today because that sermon spoke to me. And, and I don't want to fail anymore. I want to, I want to succeed. I need God to help me. And so I started meeting with this guy. And he would go to counseling. And he would go to AA. And he'd come meet with me every week. And at one point, I led him to Christ. And he made a commitment to Christ. And he became a Christian. And I would just kind of pump him up and give him strength. And, you know, talk to him about the Bible and give him books to read. Whatever I thought might help him. And so then, you know, he got to a place where God helped him, and, and he quit drinking. And he was a recovering alcoholic, and he, he didn't drink anymore. And then God brought this woman into his life, and he ended up marrying her, and I officiated their wedding. And then God blessed them with a little girl, and he got a new job, and, and things were looking up. And it was wonderful. Now, I, I lived in the day, you're not going to believe this, but I lived in a day when you couldn't just order stuff off Amazon because there wasn't no Amazon, okay? Because there wasn't a cell phone, there wasn't a computer. I'm talking about B.C., before COVID, okay? They didn't have anything back then. And so we were out in Navarre, Florida. If you wanted to get supplies for the office, you had to drive into Fort Walton Beach to get anything when, we, when I first went out there. I mean, there were only 5,000 people in Navarre, and I used to pray, God, send some people to Navarre. Not the church, just the town, okay? And so Steve, we, I'd known him at First Church. I still kept up with him there. He got a job selling supplies, office supplies. And so he, we were one of his customers. He'd call on us, and, and our administrative assistant was so thankful. He'd just bring that stuff out to her. She'd order, and he'd bring it, and there you go. It's right there. How convenient is that? But I kept up with him, and I watched his life. And, and for years, I mean, I was there in Navarre 20 years, and I was in Fort Walton Beach for two. And all that time, I got to see him and, and see what God was doing in his life. 
And then later on, he got sick, and it didn't have anything to do with alcohol or anything, but, but he got sick and died. But he had all those years that he would never have had because he was at rock bottom, and he wasn't going to make it if he hadn't come to know Jesus. Now, I got a front row seat to watch God work. God did it. I just got to see it and celebrate it, right? And what a blessing it was. And I saw him go from failure to victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. But you know, even if he had failed, God would have picked him up again because God has unconditional love. He loves us. And just like when he failed before, he would have said the same thing. I know. I know. Let's, let's just repent, confess, repent, and let's put it behind us. Tomorrow's a new day. Let's move forward from here. And God's not, God's not up in heaven with a clipboard going, I saw that. I saw that. That's it right there. Right there. Won't get in trouble. Get in trouble for that one. That's, that's not works. works. He's our, he's our big leader. leader. <laughs> when we're up on our, on our and everybody, everybody gives up on us, he's, us, he's small. small. Get up. I can help you. You're my child. I love you. Don't let the enemy win. Don't think about the past. Let's focus on the future. And let's say another victory in Jesus' name. Father, the things that happen to people in the Bible happen today to us. I pray, Lord, that we would see victory today, that we would realize where it comes from, that we would give you the glory, and that we would be a witness to other people that they might be drawn closer to you because of what you do through us. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,